0: Okay, fans, this is my first ever podcast, so I don't have a lot of expectations here. But there's uh, three subjects I wanted to cover today. And the last time I tried to record this, it went one minute and six seconds and then cut me off and I could not continue. So this one might not last very long either. We'll see what happens. Anyway, the subjects I wanted to talk today about are, first of all, in politics, John Durham from the Department of Justice uh, indicts a Perkins Coey lawyer by the name of Sussman. I'd like to talk about that a little bit. Then also I'd like to talk about the uh, creation account in Genesis. There's, of course, the big debate about whether the world is 6,000 years old or whether it's 14 billion years old. Uh, It's quite a discrepancy there. Anyway, I'd like to delve into that just a little bit and about faith in general. And then to finish it off, I'll have my stories of the South segment. As you know, I grew up in Alabama. And when I was 16 years old, I had a um, pretty big event that year on my birthday in March. And I'd like to talk a little bit about that. So without further ado, let's get into it. Okay. First, uh, about the DOJ and uh, John Durham's work. John Durham's been working for a long time um, on the uh, investigation into the uh, domestic spying of the Trump campaign. This latest development um, is very interesting. Now, I don't hold up a lot of hope that anybody... Of any consequence is going to suffer any consequences because I think the the uh, Department of Justice is completely and utterly corrupt from the top. Um, now I know there's a lot of good agents uh, out there do, trying to do good work, but when a when a organization is corrupt from the top, it's corrupt through and through. Uh, sorry to have to say that, but that's just the way it is from my experience with organizations, and I've had a lot of experience. Okay, what's happened, though, is that John Durham has indicted this lawyer, this Perkins Coey lawyer uh, named Sussman. I can't remember what his first name is. It doesn't really matter. Anyway, what uh, happened apparently has happened here is that Sussman went to the FBI under the auspices of being a private uh, Private citizen and informed the FBI that he had evidence that the Trump organization, um, through this outfit called Alpha Bank, had a back-channel communication going on with Russia. Anyway, Sussman went to the FBI with this under false pretenses, apparently, and now is being charged for lying to the FBI about it. That's what the indictment is about. But the story gets a heck of a lot deeper than that. And in fact, the most interesting part of this story to me is that apparently there are at least one, probably two, shadowy characters from uh, social media. These are social media giants, apparently, who have been working with this Sussman and Perkins Coey. To try to tar, to try to uh, cast aspersions on the Trump campaign and accuse them of uh, collaborating with Russia. Anyway, that story completely blown up, and it blew up a long time ago about the Alpha Bank. There is no, there was no collaboration with the Alpha Bank and the Trump Trump campaign. It is completely ridiculous. It's all made up. But the most interesting things to me was that the press. Um, bought it hook, line, and sinker, and ran with it. And that was disgusting, the way that that happened. And all those press people that were involved in that should be ashamed of themselves. Of course they're not, but they should be completely ashamed of themselves. They should never be allowed to work in in, um, journalism ever again for the fraud that they they, uh, 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 brought to the entire... um, all their audience, they should not be allowed to continue with this. Anyway, both other really interesting thing about this is these two tech giants, who have yet been unnamed, figure a big part in this story. And the reason is because they used the data that they have collected on private citizens. They used that data that no one else has to apparently try to provide some some um, fleshing out to Sussman's case about the Alpha Bank. And this entire story has blown up in Sussman's face. It blew up in, in the tech giant's face. And by the way, we're going to find out who these tech giants are. And I was listening to Dan Bongino, and he thinks he knows who they are. We're going to find out. Anyway, this is a very interesting story as it develops. Uh, This indictment of Sussman has turned out to be a much bigger bag than I thought it was in the very beginning. So let's see how that one fleshes out. The next subject I wanted to talk about today is about the uh, uh, creation account in Genesis. Now, there is a big debate whether or not the world is 6,000 years old. And those who think that it's much, much older than that, 14 billion years old they uh, ridicule the people who think it's 6,000 years old, calling them bumpkins and fools. And, uh, of course, the people who are relying on the geological evidence that they see, uh, they, they think that they're on the moral, moral not only uh, data high ground, but the moral high ground as well. And uh, so I wanted to approach this from a little bit different aspect, and that is the faith aspect of this. Uh, because if, if you're a Christian and you are thinking that you're going to take, fall down heavy on one side of this or the other, I, you know, I would caution you greatly on that. And the reason why I would caution you greatly is because, first of all, uh, Genesis, as I'm sure most of you know, is the first book in what's called the Pentateuch. Okay, the Pentateuch is the first five books of the Bible. And they, they, those five books together comprise what is called in the, in the, the Jews called the Torah. Okay? Now the interesting thing about this is that in nowhere in Genesis that I'm aware of does the author of Genesis, which by, uh, by all accounts is Moses... There are nowhere in the in the account in Genesis or in the other uh, the other books of the Torah that I know of. There's no account reason. There's no point where he uh, that Moses identifies the creation account in Genesis as being allegory. Okay, so that's one of the ways that that Christians try to reconcile these two things and uh, the uh, creation account and geology is to appeal to uh, make the Bible uh, telling stories instead of relating facts. Okay, that's what allegory means, is a story. Okay, well, I would caution you Christians on this in the strongest terms, because what you are doing when you do that is you are undermining uh, people's faith in the integrity of Scripture as a whole. Because nowhere in the book of Genesis, does Moses indicate that the creation account is an allegory? Okay, so if Moses, the author, is not going to identify it as allegory, then it is the height of uh, foolishness for us as Christians to thus identify it as allegory. Okay, that's my first contention. Second, You know, when you talk about faith, and this is the crux of what I was wanting to talk about today, when you talk about faith, there are actually several steps involved in faith um, that most people who have an intellectual bent must go through in order to arrive at the point where they are ready to uh, accept the Bible in its entirety as the written word of God. And that is crucial to the Christian faith. If you cannot if you do not have the Bible as your foundation in its entirety and unerrant, uh then, then it's then now it's up to you to start picking what is and what isn't in the Bible. And that is a very slippery slope. So first, when you're gonna look at the Bible, the first thing that you have to look at is the Torah. And the reason for that is that it is the first five books of the Bible. It's the foundation upon which the rest of the Bible is constructed. Okay, this is important. And the reason, one of the reasons why Christians believe uh, that the Bible is in the inerrant Word of God is that it begins with the Torah, the, the Pentateuch, and continues from there. Now, it's not just Christians who believe in the integrity and the validity of the of the the Pentateuch. It's the Jews, of course. And they are the author of it and the Torah is something that stands aside from them from the Bible as being God's word. Okay? So you not only have Christians who are identifying what I'm talking about, you also have the Jews who are identifying it, okay? Now they might not they might not accept the rest of the books of the Bible, some they do and some they don't, but the Torah is something they do. Okay, so you can go to the Torah in its um, uh, and uh, have it as evidence, backed up by both Jews and Christians as being the Word of God. And again, nowhere, nowhere does Noah uh, does excuse me Noah nowhere does Moses identify the book of genesis and specifically the creation story as allegory so you are left then with the fact that this the the bible clearly identifies the the creation is taking place in 6 days okay it's clearly identified in there 6 days and the words that are used mean day okay so you can say that the day was longer than 6 days and whatever and this is you know this was the the device Day was the device that Moses used to describe what he was seeing. You can say that. That's fine. Uh, you can also say that you believe the world is 14 billion years old because you see the evidence in the geology, which is absolutely true. The evidence is there in the geology that the earth is, is many, many more years than 6,000 years old. Okay, But the problem is when you fall down hard on one side or the other, that's where I have my problem with you. And the reason why I have a problem with you on that is because... You weren't there, okay? I wasn't there, but you weren't there either, okay? So if you weren't there, it is the f- height of foolishness for you to be dogmatic about how exactly old the earth is, okay? You are are uh, then um, making the er- grave error of thinking that you have to come down a hard on something that you don't need to come down hard on. You don't have to convince people that the world is 6,000 years old, and you on the other side do not have to convince people that it's not 6,000 years old. This is not something that, the, um, that we have to grasp and completely understand. And I think God realizes that. That's why he put it, the book of Genesis is not a book about science, really, okay? It is a book about, the redemption of mankind and how that that redemption began with the beginning of creation. And that's it. Okay, that's my thoughts on that. My last segment here, um, I call it my Big Bass story. This is under my Stories of the South segment. As many of you know, I was, I was raised in the South. Um, I was born in New Mexico, but my family moved when I was very young to Huntsville, Alabama, where I grew up. My father bought a lot of land on a lake in central Alabama called Smith Lake. He eventually built a cabin on it, and it was a wonderful place that we used to go to on weekends, both winter and summer. And Smith Lake was known as a lake that was very difficult to fish. Uh, first of all, it was a very deep lake. It was a rocky lake. Uh, there were not a lot of places for big fish to hide, and uh, but over time, you know, the lake began to have more vegetation, became easier, but still not easy. It was a reservoir. Lewis Smith Reservoir is a um, uh, a reservoir that was done. I don't know, probably back in the '30s with the with the um, electrification of the South. But anyway. It's a reservoir, so it's a very deep lake and very difficult fish. Anyway, I was out on my 16th birthday fishing by myself in a 14-foot aluminum, what we called John boats at the time. They're flat boats, flat-bottom boats. They have very low draft, very um, uh, low draft. They probably only sit like eight inches in the water. And uh, I was using my paddle, of course, I... I, uh, Never used the the uh, boat motor when I was fishing because it would scare the fish. So I was doing a maneuver which is called sculling with the paddle. And in sculling, you sit in the front of the of the uh, the flat bottom boat, and you work your paddle back and forth, pushing as you go, and it propels the boat forward very silently. So I was doing this, and I had. it was early in the morning, probably around 7 in the morning, something like that. And there was a lot of mist on the water, and it was cold. It was really cold. It was probably 35, 40 degrees outside. And this is normally a time of year which is very difficult to catch bass because bass don't start really moving and start becoming very active until the water warms up. And that's usually in mid-April. Okay, so I'm out here on the, in the winter. This is the 12th of March. And I cast a lure out. Um, it was called a pink eyed hellbender. And this lure looks like a salamander. And it has, it's white, has pink eyes. And when you pull it through the water, it wobbles back and forth and dives deep. So I was trailing my hellbender. And I was trailing it over some rock formations. When I, I thought I snagged it. Oh no. I didn't want to lose This is my favorite lure. So I'm pulling and pulling. And it's starting to come up. But it feels like a log. And so I thought I have a log on the line. And I start pulling and pulling up. And when I get it to the point. Where I can see. What's on the other end of the line. This is probably about two and a half feet deep. Uh, because the water was fairly murky. I realized I had a. Monster. Bass on the other end of that line. The only reason I caught this fish is because it was very sluggish. It had come up from the depths, uh, the warmer depths, and into the cold water and looking for crawdads, crayfish, whatever you want to call them. And it got hung up with my hellbender thinking it was a crawdad. So anyways, I caught it two and a half feet... And it saw me and then started fighting, so it really was uh quite something that I was able to pull that fish out of the water. I was so excited I just didn't know what to do. The biggest bass I'd ever caught before that was four and a half pounds, and that was huge compared to what uh, the the paltry uh caught catches that I had done before that so this was a big, big bass, eight pounds. I managed to get him out I had him. Um, I had a taxidermist mount him, and I got my picture in the paper in the Huntsville Times, um, and the title of the article was, Hethcote Catches Own Birthday Present. So that was a very exciting time in my life, my 16th birthday to catch that big fish. It was so much fun, okay? So, there's one other thing I wanted to talk about today, and that is, I found out from Dan Bongino that there is a way you can go online and basically find out who the rhinos are in politics. And rhinos, I'm talking about the Republicans in name only. So you want to identify these people because we do not want to keep electing these people to power. Now, most prominent examples of this Would be people like Lynn Cheney, like um, George W. Bush, like um, people like that, uh, and all of the uh, politicians that were trying to, the Republicans trying to impeach the leader of their own party. These people, and and Mitt Romney would be another example, okay? People like this are big rhinos. Now, the way to go in and find out if your individual representatives in Congress, specifically the House of Representatives or the Senate, to find out if they are rhinos is to go to what's called the Liberty Score, Liberty Score. And you can go to Liberty Score not store, libertyscore.com, and uh, in that, you can list out all the representatives, you can list them by party, you can even look up your own representative, okay? So, you do need to know the representative's name, so you need to ask Google who your representative is if you want to go that route. But uh, the interesting thing about this, my representative, uh, the last name of Timmons, uh, I was beginning to, su- to suspect that he was a rhino, because when he had the chance to defend, or to... Uh, to uh, echo the other um, uh, Representative uh, Duncan in uh, censuring the Biden administration for mistreatment of the January 6th protesters, he declined to do that. And so I emailed him, I got no response. And so I began to start thinking that my representative, Timmons, must be a rhino. So anyway, I was interested to find, I go into the Liberty score, and Timmons has a 92% in the Liberty, Liberty score. So that made me feel a lot better. But Duncan, um, who is the, the uh, representative for the Taylor... Taylor's area here in South Carolina, he has a 95%. So I was very encouraged by both of those. Again, it's called Liberty Score, and you can go there and check out to find out who your rhinos are. There are some rhinos apparently in South Carolina, um, and they are listed there, but uh, fortunately, my representative and the representative for Taylor's and Greer area is not. Okay? That is the end of my podcast today. I hope you really enjoyed it and I hope to do it again. I don't know exactly when. I am planning to um, on October 1st to start my involvement in politics myself. I'm going to be calling the local Republican Party and start meeting with them and finding out what I can do. My first goal is to eliminate rhinos from our party. Um, and then also, of course, I want to take any opportunity I can to ridicule and lampoon the left, okay? All right, and I'll be doing some of that on these podcasts. All right. God bless you out there. Bye. (laughs)